Chapter 9 of Hester, A Story of Contemporary Life, Volume 3, by Margaret O. Oliphant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9, Under the Holly. It seemed to Hester that she had been for hours out of doors, and that the lingering June evening would never end. Now and then she met in the fields a party of Redboro people taking a walk, a mother with a little group of children, a father with a taller girl or boy, a pair of lovers. They all looked after her, wondering a little that a young lady, and one who belonged to the Vernons, for everybody knew her, should be out so late alone. But why should she not have a young man too, the lovers thought, and felt a great interest in the question whether they should meet her again, and who he might be. But still it could not be said to be dark. The wild roses were still quite pink upon the hedges. The moments lingered along, the clocks kept chiming by intervals. Hester, by dint of long thinking, felt that she had become incapable of all thought. She no longer remembered what she had intended to say to him, nor could divine what he would say. If it were but over, if the moment would but come, she felt capable of nothing but that wish. Her mind seemed to be running by her like a stream, with a strange velocity which came to nothing. Then she woke up suddenly to feel that the time had come. The summer fields, all golden with buttercups, had stolen away into the grey. The hedgerows only betrayed themselves by a vague darkness. She could not see the faces or anything but ghost-like outlines of those she met. The time had come when one looks like another, and identity is taken away. There was nobody upon the Grange Road. She went along as swift as a shadow, like a ghost, her veil over her face. The holly tree stood black like a pillar of cloud at the gate, and someone stood close by waiting, not a creature to see them far or near. They clasped hands and stood together enveloped by the grayness, the confused atmosphere of evening which seemed to hide them even from each other. "'Thank heaven I have you at last. I thought you were never coming,' Edward said. "'It was not dark enough till now. Oh, Edward, that we should meet like thieves, like—' "'Lovers, darling. The most innocent of lovers come together so, especially when the fates are against them. They are against us no more, Hester.' Take my arm and let us go. We have nothing to wait for. I think I have thought of everything. Goodbye to the old life, the dreary, the vain, my only love. Come, there is nothing to detain us. It was at this moment that the secret listener, who came without any intention of listening, who wanted only to see who it was and what it meant, losing her shoe in the heavy ground of the shrubbery, stole into that corner behind the wall. Oh, Edward, wait! There is everything to detain us. Did you not get my note? They say things are going wrong with Vernon's. That the bank... I can't tell what it is, but you will understand. Harry said nothing could be done till you came. Harry is a fool, he said bitterly. Why didn't he take his share of the work and understand matters? Is it my fault if it was all thrown into my hands? Hester, you are my own love, but you are a fool too. Don't you see? Can't you understand that this is the very reason? But why should I try to explain at such a moment, or you ask me? Come, my darling, safety and happiness and everything we can wish lie beyond yon railway. Let us get away. I am not going, Edward. Oh, how could you think it? I never meant to go. 
Not going, he laughed and took her hands into his with an impatience, however, which made him restless, which might have made him violent. That is a pretty thing to tell me just when you have met me for the purpose. I know you want to be persuaded, but come, come, I will persuade you as much as you can desire when I get you safe into the train. It is not persuasion I want. If it was right, I would go if all the world were against it. Edward, do you know what it looks like? It looks like treachery, like deserting your post, like leading them into danger, into leaving them in their ignorance to stumble out as they can. Well, he said, is that all? If we get off with that, we shall do very well, Hester. I shouldn't wonder if they said harder things still. If the bank should come to harm, I am a Vernon too. I can't bear it should come to harm. If anything was to happen, if it will abridge this discussion, which surely is ill-timed, Hester, to say the least, I may admit at once that it is likely to come to harm. I don't know how things are to be tidied over this time. The bank's on its last legs. We needn't make any mystery on the subject. What's that? It was a sound of intolerable woe, indignation, and wrath from behind the wall. Catherine was listening with her hands clasped hard to keep herself up. It was not a cry which would have betrayed her, but an involuntary wrestle or movement, a gasp indistinguishable from so many other utterances of the night. I suppose it was nothing, he added. Hester, come, we can't stand here like two thieves, as you say, to be found out by anybody. There's that villain marshal, Catherine Spy, always on the outlook. He tells his mistress everything. However, that does not matter much now. By tomorrow, dear, neither you nor I need mind what they say. There will be plenty said. We must make up our minds to that. I suppose you gave your mother a hint. My mother? A hint? Edward, how could I dare to say to her? What would she think? But, oh, that comes so long away after. The first thing is, you cannot go. Edward, you must not go. A man cannot be a traitor. It is just the one thing... If all was plain sailing, well, but when things are going badly, oh, no, no, I will not hear you say so. You cannot desert your post. He took hold of her arm in the intensity of his vexation and rage. You are a fool, he said hoarsely. Hester, I love you all the same, but you are a fool. Didn't I tell you at first I was risking everything? Heavens, can't you understand? desert my post. I have no post. It will be better for them that I should be out of the way. I must go, confound it. Hester, for God's sake, haven't you made up your mind? Do you know that every moment I stand here I am in danger? Come, come, I will tell you everything on the way. She gave a cry as if his pressure, the almost force he used to draw her with him, had hurt her. She drew her hand out of his. I never thought it possible, she said. I never thought it possible. Oh, Edward, danger? What is danger? There's no danger but going wrong. Stop. My love, yes, you are my love. There's never been anyone between us. If you have been foolish in your speculations, or whatever they are, or even wrong, stay, Edward, stay and put it right. Oh, stay and put it right. There can be no danger if you will stand up and say, I did it, I will put it right, and I, if you care for me, I will stand by you through everything. I will be your clerk, I will work for you night and day. There is no trouble I will not save you, Edward. 
Oh, Edward, for God's sake, think of Catherine, how good she has been to you, and it will break her heart. Think of Vernon's, which we have all been so proud of, which gives us our place in the country. Edward, think of... Won't you listen to me? You will be a man dishonored. They will call you... They will think you... Edward! All this comes finely from you, he cried. Beautifully from you. You have a right to set up on the heights of honor and as the champion of Vernon's. You, John Vernon's daughter, the man that ruined the bank. The man that... Oh, my God, Edward, what are you saying? My father, the man... He laughed out loud, laughed aloud, forgetting precautions. Do you mean to say you did not know the man that was such a fool that left it a ruin on Catherine's hands? You did not know why she hated you? You are the only one in the place that does not. I have taken the disease from him through you. It must run in the blood. Come, come, you drive me into heroics too. There is enough of this, but you've no honor to stand upon, Hester. We are in the same box. Come along with me now. Hester felt that she had been stricken to the heart. She drew away from him till she got to the rough support of the wall and leant upon it, hiding her face, pressing her soft cheek against the roughness of the brick. He drew her other arm into his, trying to lead her away, but she resisted, putting her hand on him and pushing him from her with all her force. "'There is not another word to be said,' she cried. "'Go away, if you will go. Go away. I will never go with you. All that is over now.' "'This is folly,' he said. "'Why did you come here if you had not made up your mind? And if I tell you a piece of old news, a thing that everybody knows, is that to make a breach between us? Hester, where are you going?' the other way, the other way. She was feeling her way along the wall to the gate. It was very dark and they were like shadows, small, vague, under the black canopy of the tree. She kept him away with her outstretched arm, which he felt rather than saw. I never knew it. I never knew it, she said with sobs. I'm going to Catherine to ask her pardon on my knees. Hester, for God's sake, don't be a fool. To Catherine, you mean to send out after me, to stop me, to betray me, but by... The oath never got uttered, whatever it was. Another figure, tall and shadowy, appeared behind them in the opening of the gate. Edward gave one startled look, then flung from him the hand of Hester, which he had grasped unawares, and hurried away towards the town with the speed of a ghost. He flung it with such force that the girl's relaxed and drooping figure followed, and she fell before the third person, the newcomer, and lay across the gateway of the grange, half-stunned, not knowing at whose feet she lay. Edward hastened onward like a ghost speeding along the dark road. He was miserable, but the greatest misery of all was to think that even now, at the last moment, he might be brought back. He might be stopped upon the edge of this freedom for which he longed. He wanted Hester, he wanted happiness, and he had lost them. But there was still freedom. Had there been only the risks of the crisis, the meeting of alarmed and anxious creditors, the chance even of criminal prosecution, he might have faced it. But to return again to that old routine, to take up his former life, was impossible. He flew along like the wind. There was still an hour or more before the train would start. Would the women gather themselves together, he wondered, soon enough to send after him to prevent his journey? as much to avoid that risk as to occupy the time which he did not know what else to do with, he resolved to walk to the junction, which was at a distance of two or three miles. So strange is the human constitution that even at this tragic and somber moment he almost enjoyed the dark night walk, though it was that of a fugitive.
The present is always so near us, so palpable, so much more apparent than either the future or the past. He arrived at the junction just in time and jumped into the first carriage he could find in his hurry. He had no luggage, having left everything in town, nothing but the small bag in his hand in which there were various things which he had meant to show to Hester to amuse her, distract her thoughts on the night journey, and keep her from too many questions. Among these things was a special license which he had procured that morning in town. He jumped into the carriage without perceiving that there was any one in it, and it annoyed him to see, when he settled in the furthest corner, that there was a woman in the other. But the light was low, and it could not be helped. Thus shut up in close and silent company, two strangers, each wrapped in a world of their own, they went swinging through the night, the lights of the stations on the road gleaming past, while with a roar and rush they ran through covering sheds and by empty platforms. After a little while Edward's attention was caught, in spite of himself, by a little measured sob and sigh, which came at intervals from the other corner. The lady was very quiet, but very methodical. She put back her veil, she took out her handkerchief, she proceeded to dry her eyes in a serious, matter-of-fact way. Edward could not help watching these little proceedings. A few minutes after, with a start, he perceived who his companion was. Emma, going home at last, just as she came, no one having spoken, nor any event occurred to change the current of her life. Her little sniff, her carefully wiped-off tears, were for her failure, and for the dullness of Kilburn, which she was about to return to. A sudden idea struck Edward's mind. He changed his seat, came nearer to her, and at last spoke. "'I am afraid, Miss Ashton, you don't like travelling by night,' he said. She gave a little start and cry. "'Oh, is it you, Mr. Edward? I thought when you came in it must be somebody I knew. Oh, I am afraid you must have seen me crying. I am very sorry to go away.' "'Everybody in Redborough has been so kind to me, and there is always so much going on.' "'But in London,' Edward began. "'Oh, that is what everybody says. There is always so much going on in London. That just shows how little they know, perhaps among the fashionable sets. I don't know anything about that, but not in Kilburn. It's partly like a little village, and partly like a great huge town. You're not supposed to know the people next door, and then they are all just nobody.' The men come home to their dinner or their tea, and then there is an end of them. When you are in the best set in a place, it makes such a difference. Roland is very kind, and I have nothing to complain of, but I can't bear going back. That's what I was crying for, not so much for having to leave, but for having to go back. You are tired of your life, too, I suppose? Oh, so I am, but it can't be helped. I must just go back to it, whether I like it or not. "'Would you be glad of an alternative?' asked Edward. He spoke with a sort of wanton recklessness, not caring what became of him. "'Oh!' said Emma, waiting upon Providence. "'That is a different thing. Perhaps it would be better not. I can't tell. Yes, I think I should, if you ask me. Anything new would be a blessing, but where am I to look for anything new? You see, Roland has his own engagements. You never can interfere with a brother.' It took away her breath when Edward rose from the opposite side where he was and came and sat beside her. "'I am going away, too,' he said. "'I want change, too. I can't bear the quiet any longer. I want to travel. Will you come with me? We could be married tomorrow morning and start immediately after.' "'Mr. Edward!' 
Good gracious, cried Emma. It took away her breath. This was coming to the point indeed. Was this what you were thinking of when you asked me to dance the Thursday before last? I never thought of such a thing. I thought it was Hester. Goodness me, what would they all say? Did you know I was coming tonight? Were you only pretending about Hester? Were you struck with me from the beginning, or only just at the last? I am sure I don't know what to say. Come with me. That is the best thing to do, Edward said. End of chapter 9 Read by Anne Erickson, Toronto.